in Northview. It is wonderful to be in the house of the Lord with you all. For anybody joining us online, we welcome you. Good morning. Now that you all sat down and got comfortable, I'm going to ask you, as you're able, would you please join us? We're going to kick it off this morning with a prayer of revival. So join us as we enter in this morning.
felt led to kind of talk about this morning, sometimes we can become engrossed in our worship because we are emotionally attached to a particular song or because the music itself evokes our emotion because music can definitely do that just in and of itself, right? So it's very easy to cross the line into almost worshiping the song itself or worshiping the music itself instead of worshiping an almighty God. So as we sing this next song, it's a very beloved song. It's one that we should all know and love. I thought I would steer us in a unified direction as we pray and worship as one body, one thought, one mind. So some things I'd like us to think about while we sing this song together is let's proclaim that God is sovereign and in control and that we can trust him. We can call upon his name at any time of day or night. We as a church will follow and obey his promise as we strive and strain towards that. We want to follow and obey his call. He has never failed. He will fulfill every promise. And we as a church can find peace and true rest as we rely and lean into that. So pray that as a unified body, as a church this morning.
All right. Um, if you were curious, that video was just taken from a couple weeks ago when they had their youth group uh, final church in the park edition. It was super fun. There were lots of shenanigans. Um, actually, my father, Steve, and then Seb, our youth director, and then uh, me, the children's director, I'm Kayla. We all got dunked in the dunk tank. It was rather cold, but it was fun. Um, yeah, so good morning, everybody. Glad to see you. Um, if you are new or visiting with us, uh, especially online as well, um, we have lots of ways for you guys to connect with us, especially right now in a season where all of us are staying more 
removed from one another. Um, these are ways that you can connect with us. We have um, our website, which you can find kids stuff on there. You can find information about youth group on there. Um, and also to uh, groups, uh, small groups that you can get plugged into. And we also are on Facebook. We have um, an email that you can reach out to and a phone number that you can call as well. Uh, with that being said, we know um, that some of you guys have kids with us here this morning, which is awesome. Um, we offer a kids church experience online that they can participate in during the main service since we aren't having separate in-person kids stuff at this time. Um, all they need is a electronic device and some headphones and they can watch um, the kids church experience while we do the uh, grown-up experience, I guess. Um, but yeah, and um, speaking of kids, so we know that this fall, um, school is looking a lot different um, than people are used to. And a lot of that has to do with um, online school, and that means a lot more time spent at home, which we know that family time is awesome, but um, I have been hearing from a lot of parents that there is such a thing as maybe too much family time. <laughs> um, and so what we have been chatting about as a staff is ways that we can offer um, support for parents and kids as they go into this new season of school that may look different for a little while. And so um, our brainstorming came up with this idea of a study hall that we would offer here at church. Um, we are still kind of fleshing out the details of this, but we just want to offer a space that kids can come and they can do um, schoolwork here at church instead of doing it at home. And so we're going to be offering it on Wednesday evenings from uh, 3 to 6. And um, that's just, again, just an opportunity for kids to step out of their home. Parents can um, drop their kids off and they can go do you know, any errands they need to run or things like that. Um, and that way kids can have just a separate space to work in um, and do their homework at. So more details on that to come, um, <laughs> I believe so. And then um, we'll continue to update you as we uh, get started on that. But yes, we're hoping to start second week of September is our goal. Um, and so let us know if you're interested in that and also too if you'd be interested in helping out with that. And other than that, um, we have our offerings as always. Um, if you are interested in that, we have giving options online. We also have um, offering boxes in the back and we have uh, mail-in options as well. All right, I'm going to pray over our morning if you wouldn't mind joining with me. Um, dear Lord, thank you again so much that we have the ability to gather and to see one another. And um, thank you, God, for the reminder from Esther that you indeed are sovereign and that we can trust you. Um, we love you, Lord, and we pray that everything this morning glorifies you and you alone. In your name, amen. Thank you, Kayla. Yeah, the, the dunk tank was fun. Rob was supposed to do it, but had some lame excuse about having a baby or something like that. So I had to step in, so it was great fun. Tony and I cooked burgers together and had a great time visiting. Good morning, Norfew, both here and there. Welcome. We're glad to have you. And uh, as we look this morning, a uh, couple things that we want to bring to your attention before we get into the message. First is, as we mentioned last week, John and Jessica had attended the Church Planning Assessment Center that was held in Bethany Baptist in Puyallup. That's one of our sister churches, uh, part of Converge Northwest. Uh, George Bedlin is the pastor there, great guy. And we just want to give word that they gave John and Jessica the green light to go ahead with church planning. So yeah, give them a hand. That's really good. Uh, we had lunch with them, Pam and I, yesterday and just sat down and debriefed through the whole thing. And uh, they, they, it's pretty thorough. Jessica went, wow. <laughs> you know? So uh, they got a chance to go. So over what's going to happen now over the next year here, we're going to be 
taking steps to launch Northwind Community Church. So stay tuned. We'll keep giving you information. But feel free to, if you have any interest in this, to call John or talk with him, uh, bump into him. Uh, you know, now's the time to start the conversation if that's something that God is tugging on your heart, and we want to encourage that. Uh, on a different note, uh, our chairman, uh, Steve Doton, uh, has encountered a serious health problem in the form of a, what is a blood disorder. Uh, it's not leukemia or anything, but it's a, a blood disorder which is treatable. So that's the good news. The daunting news to it is that to treat it, he has to do chemo and then a stem cell transplant. All right. So you can imagine how uh, you're thinking, wow, that was not the news I expected from the doctor. And so they ha he's proceeding on that. He had his first treatment uh, on the 24th last week, and uh, he'll be marching through the fall with that. And uh, so needless to say, the next few months are going to be daunting for him and Janelle, and they would certainly appreciate us keeping them on their prayer list, all right, and lifting up. That's a every week kind of thing, not pray once and then hope it gets better. Um, if we could uh, support them, that would be great. Uh, former Chairman Dave Weed, who... Uh, has been chairman, as I mentioned before, has agreed to come on short term and just fill in for Steve. So as the chemo goes, and of course that's, right, you get chemo brain and all that stuff, and so Steve will be able to take a break. Dave will just fill in for him till Steve can come back on, and then Dave will step back away and Steve will take over again. So thank David for being willing to do that. That's a super cool thing. And, and Steve will stay on the board as long as his health permits, right, when he if he gets sick and buckles a little bit, well, we'll let him take a break, let him get his wheels back under him, and then come back on. But that really, um, uh, really, they, they would really appreciate praying, and thanks ahead of time for doing that for him, okay? And then the third thing, we want to give you an update on uh, James and Sarah. Uh, so we gave you the heads up last week that we'll be looking at James as a potential associate staff, but then also heir apparent to the senior role when I transition in three word, three years, three words, that'd be interesting, <laughs> three years, <laughs> okay, um, and James is here this morning, so he's right over there, so you can talk to him, yeah, he's trying to hide in the corner, yeah, you on TV get to see the back of his head, lovely sight, and, um, but we also want to remind you that, uh, so Shannon has put together a, uh, he's leading a evaluation team, and they'll actually be meeting for the first time with James this week because uh, James is here. And we want to remind you that uh, James's father, Jim, is going to have surgery this week. It's Tuesday on the 1st, and he's having pancreatic cancer surgery. So that's why James is here. So if you could keep them in your prayers over the next week, that would be really significant. All right. Okay, so, well, here we go. We're in uh, the Psalms again, Truth versus Lies. And uh, we've come this morning, we're going to be the, at the end of our series in the Psalms, right? It has been a really, really amazing series. And the Lord has been able to connect with us during that, for which I'm just immensely grateful. Actually, I have to tell you, this series turned into a whole lot more than I ever thought it would. Uh, my whole thing with the Psalms, I thought, let's do the Psalms because I kept seeing God's steadfast love pop up all over the place through it. And that was the one idea I had. And obviously, Jesus has rolled that out into a whole, right? So really, really cool. Uh, you probably notice some of you out there, right, are saying, hey, but you didn't touch Psalm 119. 
Uh, and that's true. Uh, we just flat ran out of time. And uh, that is worth a look at another time. Psalm 119 is a journey in and of itself, right? So like you could make a series out of that thing. So we'll come back to that at another time when it's appropriate. This morning, we come to what is considered one of the greatest pieces of literature ever written. We're talking about the 23rd Psalm. There have been more sermons, books, and lectures on the 23rd Psalm than almost any other part of Scripture. If the Beatitudes are the Mount Rainier of the New Testament, then the 23rd Psalm is the Mount Baker of the Old Testament, right? Just for a Northwest reference. It just stands out above the rest. It has been the go-to for funerals for over 2,000 years. It is, a, it is the great uh, comfort passage in hospitals. If you've ever been in a hospital and a chaplain comes through, what do they read from? The 23rd Psalm, right? It has brought calm and comfort in many a raging storm in life. It has comforted those who have been in war or who have just come back from war. It has comforted those who have experienced great tragedy. And what is absolutely amazing about this is that for all its power and beauty, it's six verses long. That's, it's just stunning, right? As we walk through it today, we'll be walking down some well-worn trails. And I know already a bunch of you have read all kinds of books and you're going to say, you didn't cover that, you didn't cover that. There's this, I know, but you can only pack so much in 30 minutes, all right? So I'm going to pack my 30 minutes, you can unpack yours. We'll, we'll walk it together. All right, so let's pray together this morning and we'll do a walk through the 23rd Psalm. Father in heaven, obviously this is one of the real cornerstone rich pieces of your word. It's been a, a treasure for so many people. Lord, so many who have uh, suffered devastation and, and failed dreams and things have come back to this and it's, it's rerun their heart back to you and it's reminded them, as Esther so eloquently pointed out in worship today, that you are sovereign. Lord, as we walk through this this morning, we live in a time where there's a lot of disappointment. We live in a time where there's a lot of angst. We would call that anxiety in our culture, Lord, and usually we prescribe a lot of drugs for it, but really what we need is you. We need you to be our good shepherd. And so as we pray this morning, Lord, shepherd, Shepherd this morning freely. Be among us in your spirit. Talk to us. Have individual conversations. Lord, if you need to have a conversation with someone that is a, a tangent and a tail off of the message, and uh, that's the only thing to hear, that's fantastic. We give the service and the time to you. May you connect both for those here and those watching, Lord. And we seek you for that in your name. Amen. All right. So let's get started. Take your Bibles, all right? Open up to your Bibles or phones, whatever. It's 23rd Psalm. Uh, the Expositor's Bible Commentary, it's the one I use, uh, points out two things that this Psalm neatly breaks into uh, two metaphors, if you will. Uh, the first one is, the Lord is my shepherd, right? That's the one we're most familiar with. But then the second one is, the Lord is my host. And we'll talk a little bit about that one this morning as well. So let's begin with the first picture. It reads like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. 
He restores my soul. I can't help reading that without saying restoreth. Right, anybody else with me? Right, old King James. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So we begin this morning with that beloved phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. And the question that must be asked right out of the gate is this, is he? Right? Is he? Is he your shepherd? Is the Lord your shepherd? See, the very clear illustration this morning is that the shepherd is the leader, not the sheep. He's not asking their permission for where they should go. He's leading them to where they will go. That's what a shepherd does. Their job is to follow. And the question this morning is, are we doing that? So are you following or are you doing your own thing? Do you have head knowledge about him? but don't have a surrendered following heart? Is he your leader? Are you under his authority? Have you become part of his flock? Have you called out to him and asked him to come into your life to forgive you of your sins, to save you from the fate of spending eternity in hell because of them? Oh yeah, by the way, that's still a real place, despite what our culture says, and should be taken very seriously, because Jesus talked a lot about it. If you don't think so, read the New Testament. You know, you can do that right now this morning. From where you're sitting, whether it's here in the auditorium or you're out there viewing and you're watching from home or maybe on your mobile device somewhere, a heart prayer would go something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I have never personally asked you into my life, nor have I surrendered my will or life choices to you. I've been living independently outside of your authority and outside of your salvation. And I realize how dangerous this is, and I want to change that. I want to ask if you would forgive me of my willfulness, my stubbornness, and my independence. I repent, which literally means I want to have a change in heart. And I ask that you'd come into my life and save me from my sins and forgive me of them as well. I wish to follow you as the great good shepherd for the rest of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer, Lord Jesus. Amen. You know, you never want to take it for granted, but someone this morning may have been praying that prayer along with me, right? And it's your time. You've known Jesus has spoken to others, but this morning he's speaking to you in his spirit. He is talking to you and you can hear his voice. And he's saying, Steve, or, that, or well, he could say to me, Hopefully I'm saved by now. But you should pray more often. Um, but he's saying, it's your time. You and I need to do business. Would you come to me? If you prayed that this morning, please call or email and let me know. That would be really appreciated, all right? Well, let's proceed with our walk through the 23rd Psalm. Outside of Jesus being Savior, right? That's a, a very beloved title. We would... Treat that with great reverence. Uh, Jesus being said, there's probably no other title ascribed to him that is as beloved as the good shepherd. It just paints a mosaic. It just paints, even if we're not farmers, even if we're not ranchers, even if we've never been with a sheep, we kind of get the picture. We know what it should look like, and we understand it. 
And so this title carries a lot of weight. But we forget something, those of us who are of the New Testament persuasion, right? Because we just, we instantly take and read Jesus into that title, right? We, boom, Jesus, boom, good shepherd. But we forget that this is an Old Testament passage, not a New Testament passage. Stop and think about that for a second. This is a description of Yahweh. You're going, what? When people say, well, I like Jesus, but I don't like the God of the Old Testament, they don't really realize that the 23rd Psalm is about Yahweh, not Jesus. This was written 900 years before Jesus ever showed up. Now, it's totally true. Yes, I'm playing semantics here. It's totally true that it was appropriated by him as a title of deity, and thus now Jesus and the Good Shepherd are synonymous. Right? But originally, this was speaking of Yahweh, and it was speaking of the heart of Yahweh and the heart of Yahweh for his people, and that he would be their Good Shepherd. It was a call to his people to follow him and to let him lead. With Jesus, though, as a matter of fact, Jesus uses this designation, and he actually uses the title of Good Shepherd and then ties it to his resurrection and then talks about what bad shepherds are. Look with me, if you will, if you've got the ability to turn to John chapter 10. And look at what Jesus says. He says, I am the Good Shepherd. Notice he owns that title. He personalizes. I am the Good Shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. That be us. Hello? Right? I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is what, by the way, if, you, if you're mystified why the Pharisees were so ticked at Jesus, this is one of the places and reasons why they were so ticked at him because they were outraged. They, how dare he say that he was the good shepherd of Psalm 23? That was already, that was blasphemy. He was equating himself to be Yahweh. And they went off their rocker on that deal, right? But Jesus goes on and he takes this further. Look at verses, John 10 again, verses 17 to 18. For this reason, the father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Remember, Jesus came and said, I have come to do exactly as my Father has asked, that the world may know that he sent me. Remember that? Okay. And here he's saying, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. That, there's uh, probably 40 books right there about the implications of that little sentence. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. By the way, when you read the New Testament accounts, you read the four Gospels, and you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get the strange sensation as you're reading that it is not the Pharisees and the religious leaders who are in charge, or Pilate, but who's really in charge of the whole scenario on the scene? It's Jesus. He is remarkably calm as if he knows how it's going to play out. The reason that's so is because he does know how it's going to play out, and he, lays it, he says it right here. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from who? 
my father. Again, he's equating himself with Yahweh. Jesus ties being the good shepherd, notice here, and his resurrection together. He, Jesus, lays down his life for the sheep. He tells us that not only is he the true shepherd, but then he goes on to tell us that there's bad shepherds as well. Right? Look at uh, John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. Truly, I, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The thief here he's talking about is Satan and all who come in his manner or mode or spirit or intentions. If you look at this description, it says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Go and look at John chapter 8 and Jesus' description of Satan there, and you'll see it's an exact match. There he says that Satan was a murderer from the beginning, and he is a liar. And that he's, his, when he lies, he uses his native language. He is the liar and the father of lies. How we understand lying comes from Satan. Again, basic biblical principle number one. Truth is the language of heaven. Lies is the language of hell. Why do we not lie? Because God doesn't lie, right? Look up Titus. There's a great verse in there in Titus about God doesn't lie. So truth is the language of heaven. Lies is the language of hell. And Jesus is pointing that out right here. So the first kind of bad shepherd is a thief or a robber. And their goal is to steal or decimate. Uh, the apostles warned us about that kind of person. It says they will kill and destroy to get what they want. They really don't care how it plays out. Okay. In this version of shepherding, the sheep are expendable. They're really there only to be used. They are bullies and control freaks who have their own agenda and benefit in mind, not that of the flock. And, and sadly, many of you may have come from some churches where you saw that kind of pastor, where you saw that it was about them and their agenda and not about the agenda of Jesus. We have hoped and tried to model something different here, some relational health that should look the way Jesus looked and the way he did it. John 10, 11 says this, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We've heard that already. He who is a hired hand, here's the second kind of bad shepherd, is the hired hand. He who is the hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And he flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. The second kind of bad shepherd is the, what Jesus calls here the hired hand. He's only in it for the paycheck, right? Punch the clock. Put your hours in, do your time, that's your thing. And when things get tough or dangerous, he flees at the drop of the hat. One of the discussions that Nate Hedinga, our, our district executive, is having with all the pastors in the church, and I've mentioned this before, is because it's a really serious deal, is what's your exit plan? Because, you know, pastors aren't stupid. They can see the handwriting on the wall, right? And they know the pressure's going to hit. And the first place it's going to hit is with them. Have you ever seen that Farsight cartoon where there's two deer in the woods and one of them has a 
birthmark that looks like a bullseye and the other deer says bummer of a birthmark Al right that's how it feels to be a pastor right I said I, I never wanted to be a head pastor I never liked the pedestal to it I never liked the politics but the third thing I didn't like is I didn't like the target right keenly aware that that target's painted on me and other pastors know that too and so when you see the danger rising there's a tendency to say I got to get out of town and Nate's asking, what's your exit plan? And I told him, well, I don't have one because I got that steadfast thing going that Jesus commanded me to do, and I got to stay. And, and I said, besides, I'm too old. Where am I going to go? <laughs> right? So, you know, we're going to make this run. But notice that the hired hand doesn't do it. He flees at the drop of the head. And what happens then? The sheep are exposed. Why are we doing a transition plan? Because one of the things that happens is a church becomes, especially with a long-run pastor, that means old, okay? You can laugh at that, okay? I resemble that remark. When you have a long run like that and you drop off the end and just disappear, it puts the church in tremendous crisis. Why are we talking about transition and relationship in a baton pass? Because trust is earned, you bake the baton pass, and you're not vulnerable and you can go on and do the next step. We don't want to make Northview vulnerable to someone from the outside who could come in and prey upon us as a congregation or tip everything we built and worked for in faith together, like this building we're sitting in for the last, you know, 16 years, and just have it all go poof. We want another good shepherd. And that's why we're doing the, the way we're doing it. The, the bullies and the control freaks, uh, they do not have the benefit of the flock in mind. The hired hand also does not have, uh, what happens is he flees and then the sheep are scattered and then they're ripped to pieces by the wolves. Wolves are a picture, of course, it's a metaphor, right? There are real wolves that eat real sheep, but wolves are a picture of people who come into the fellowship and rip it apart and destroy it. Uh, remember Paul said, wolves will come from among you. There's dangers of, of people having a bad agenda and running it on the church. The hired hand has no intention of putting up a fight or resisting the wolf. He, he buckles and folds before the fight even begins. Uh, in wrestling, we called that a wet fish. Okay? Uh, I grew up in high school and wrestled in high school and college. And when you were wrestling, you expected pushback and you expected a tussle if there was someone there that just kind of wimped out we called them a wet fish because it was like wrestling a fish right and that that was just disgusting because you're supposed to wrestle and a pastor's supposed to stand and a pastor's supposed to stand for truth and supposed to model that that's what a pastor does that's the that go through the new testament that's the definition of it and jesus here is saying he is the ultimate good pastor. He is the ultimate good shepherd. Here's a picture of a good shepherd. And let's bring this back to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. As you look at this picture on the screen, the good shepherd protects the flock at all costs. And because of that, the psalmist says, I shall not want. In other words, he trusts in the ability of the shepherd to provide. What does he provide? Well, look at the list here. Let's go through it together. First, he provides green pastures. Now, at first, that you'd go, 
Oh, duh. Okay, what? Well, a, a shepherd really has to anticipate how long a pasture can sustain a flock and then timing for when and where to move them. And that's more complicated than you would think it is. Uh, having grown up in Wisconsin, raised cattle and that kind of stuff, I understand this a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but sheep actually have what they call a, a split lip or a cleft lip. Have you ever looked at a sheep closely? Okay, It's like their lip is split in two at the top. And what that means is they're able to crop grass really closely to the ground. If you watch where cows go through a pasture, there'll be all kinds of grass still standing. But if you watch where sheep go through, you know, it looks like a buzz cut like Zeb just got this week. Okay, I mean, there's nothing but stubble there. Okay? And uh, if you haven't seen him this morning, by the way, oh, there he is over there. Like your haircut, Zeb, right? And, and so um, if, if sheep are left in one spot too long, they will decimate an area and the, it'll take a huge time for that to recover, if it recovers at all, because they just eat everything in sight. Um, so a good shepherd knows how to keep the flock moving so that not only pastures can recover, but they can go to other pastures that are green. What's that? There's growth there, right? You can see it on the hillside. There's grass, and there's food for them to eat. And so a shepherd's job was to strategically keep moving the sheep. By the way, we see that all the time. Uh, the Lord moves people, right? Uh, we've just had five families we said goodbye to, and the Lord is going to reload and add families to us. What's he doing? He's strategically moving sheep to new pastures, right? Uh, that's what a good shepherd does. Second thing, he leads me besides quiet waters. That's a favorite picture of just a calm pond kind of thing. Why this is so important is because, I don't know if you know this, but sheep can't swim, okay? Plus, sheep are kind of klutzy. Have you ever watched them? They run into things and tip over and do stuff like that. Uh, and so they kind of have lousy balance, and they're low to the ground. So here's the problem. If you have moving water, like a stream with rocks on the bottom of it, uh, Sheep are not really good at navigating. Have you ever been here in the Northwest, right, on some of the streams, and it gets that slippery algae on it, and you walk in, right? That's what it's like for a sheep to try and get in a stream. They get in, hook, tick, 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 whoop, bong, right? And they drown. Uh, streams are not good news for a sheep. They tumble over, drown very quickly. So wide, slow places in the stream or ponds are best for the sheep. That's why they're called quiet waters because the sheep can stand next to them or in them and drink and not have to worry about drowning. Think of a mere pond without a ripple on it and you kind of got the picture of what it's saying here. Quiet waters. Have you ever been by a lake at night? The wind's died down. There's a reflection on the water and there's not a ripple across it. Have you ever seen that? That's, that's a picture of what God's peace does to your soul. Right? You ever had your lake all stirred up and tossed and tempestuous, right? With anxiety and stress and and then God brings his peace and what happens? And you go, wow. And you experience his peace. That's what this picture of quiet waters is. He restores my soul. If run too hard or too fast, and this is both true of sheep and cattle, if run too fast, sheep will wear out pretty quickly. Uh, they don't have a lot of stamina. They got good stamina for walking. They don't have good stamina for running. 
The good shepherd knows how to slow them down and get them to stop and rest. Now, doesn't that sound like us? You ever had the Lord stop you? You know, if you don't stop, the Lord will stop you. You do know that, right? Have you ever had something, the Lord shut you down? Say, done. Right? You ever get sick laying in bed and going, man, I was pushing too hard. The Lord goes, yes, you were. Let's enjoy this time together. <laughs> All right? Sheep tend to be fidgety, too. Uh, you know, when Jesus calls us sheep, I'm not sure that's flattering. Uh, let me give you a story. Uh, years ago, there was a family, the Cully family, uh, Ed and Jane, great friends. And they, uh, their daughter, Missy, was in 4-H, and she had a sheep named Sylvia. And in their house, we were sitting in the kitchen, and they had a big bay window that overlooked the pasture and stuff. And there was this big oak tree in their yard. This is in the back of their yard. And, and they had, <clears throat> and you look out, there's, you know, Sylvia tethered to the tree. She had about a 20-foot tether or so. And and it just, you know, idyllic and pasturing and that kind of stuff. And so we were sitting there. We were getting ready to eat. And just as we were setting the plates on the table, all of a sudden there was this crack, right? Boom! I mean, flash of lightning and thunder instantly, like so that it was right there. And we just, wow, and we looked outside, and that startled that sheep. And Sylvia jumped up, ran to the end of her tether, ran out of tether, started running clockwise, went around and around the tree, and the tether got shorter and shorter, bonked into the tree, knocked herself out right over her back, and her feet were up in the air like this. And we're all sitting there, we were going, and I said, and God calls us sheep. <laughs> Isn't that like us? Right? He restores my soul. The shepherd knows how to calm the sheep down, and he gets them to rest. Isn't that a delightful reality of Jesus? You ever had the Lord just say, it's okay, stop. I found myself, we went on vacation this week, and we just had a wonderful time, but I was fidgety. Like I should be doing something. There's too many things to be, and I had to go, would you just stop? It's, it's okay. I had to let the Lord do that. I'm sure you can identify with that too. We, like sheep, spook very easily. I always... Laugh when we sing that song, uh, I Won't Be Shaken. Because to me, that's an absolutely ridiculous song because we get shaken by everything, right? I mean, just bring up the election, right? People are out of their minds. Like this is the end of the world election. You know, every election since we've been doing it has been loaded with this kind of intrigue and politics. That's why they call it politics, right? God knows how to bring peace. He calms the sheep down. We get frazzled pretty quickly. He gets us to rest. Come to me, the good shepherd says. All you who are weary and heavy laden. Anybody out there? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The fourth thing is he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. We often blow by this one because the other three take so much emotional energy. We try to check that one out and we move on. But this is an important one. The shepherd has a plan. The shepherd has a plan. He's leading them in paths of what? Righteousness. That means he's leading them in paths of salvation. And here's the interesting catch. Notice 
The last phrase of that. He leads me in paths of righteousness for what? His name's sake. It is not for our name's sake. It is for his name's sake. It says he's doing this for his name's sake. In other words, it's to demonstrate to the world that he is a fair and just shepherd. One of the pictures God says, if you want a picture of me and you wonder if I'm good or not, watch how I lead my church. Now, of course, the, the world would disparage that and stuff, but God says, I'm, I'm good, and I lead my people well, and I know, how to, I know where to take them, and I know how to take them there. And he's done it for over 2,000 years with the church. church should have died a long time ago. If it wasn't for the good shepherd, we would have been dead a long time ago. He wants to be seen as worthy of the sheep's followership. <clears throat> in other words, when he leads us in paths of righteousness, he wants us to trust him. He wants us to see him as worthy of being our leader. The paths he picks are to prove that he is the good shepherd. And then this one. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Many times a shepherd in the Middle East would have to take sheep through what are called wadis. If you've ever been there, um, you know what these are. They are narrow canyons, very similar to if you've ever been to Zion National Park in Utah. There's these just narrow canyons you have to navigate. And what's interesting is if it's a bright, sunny day, you go into these canyons, and it really doesn't matter what time of day it is, but especially afternoon, it gets dark in there really quick because the sun's blocked and it gets dark. And of course, predators know this as well. And so they would position themselves in places um, where they would uh, be able to attack the sheep. So this is where the picture comes of the valley of the shadow of death. This, of course, has become the all-time number one metaphor for when I encounter the path or circumstances that could lead to my death. Okay? And whether the Lord will bring me out the other side or not. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow... I had to put the yea in there, sorry. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Who? The good shepherd. God is not just walking along with us. He's leading us even in scary places. Anybody ever been in a scary place? Anybody in a scary place right now? It says, it goes on to say, not just scary, but deadly. Even in deadly places, he is right there with us. And I think that we need to recognize that is so true today. Uh, we tend to think we're the exceptional generation and we're the only ones who have ever gone through hardship. And I'm like, nope, wrong, sorry, read your history. We actually have it really good, even right now. This is not that bad. Hello. Now, is it bad? Yes. Is it normal? No. It, would we like it better? Yes. Is this as terrible as it's been through history? No, not even close. All right. So just get over that, America. All right. Deal with that. Spoiled little children. Okay. We've had it really, really good for a long time. And even this is bad. It's still really good. Could it get scary and deadly? Yes, it could. But the point is not that. The point is this. He is with us. But more importantly, he's not just with us sitting there idly, you know, you know, God's not up in heaven, bored, hoping he can figure out something to do. 
He is leading us. Right now, today, right now, today, Sunday, August 30th, 2020, he is leading us. That's why a lot of us have come to church. Why? Because we want to figure out where he's taking us. What's he doing? Where's he going? You know, and this is so true, and we need to put our weight down on this. He is leading us today. He is leading this generation just like he's led every other generation in history. He's been consistent and good. Whenever you look at the end game, he's pulled them through. Even if it's martyrdom, he pulls them through. Okay, He's going to do right by them. And he's going to do right by us. Right? And we need to land on that. The two main tools of a shepherd are the rod and the staff. There's some controversy as to whether... These are two implements or one implement. I mean, you can, there's arguments for both, uh, you know, or if it's, is it one implement used two ways? Um, whether it's one or two, we're going to, let's look at the two uses, all right? Because that's what's important. The rod was considered to be a short stick or a club tied to the belt of a shepherd. Uh, it was mainly an offensive weapon. Uh, we, we would think of it like a, a, a pole or a staff, right? Uh, we call it a rod. And that could be used to thrust, right, and headbutt something, to bam, you know, like that. Or it could be used as, uh, you know, a Jedi weapon of the Old Testament. Right? And uh, see, Star Wars isn't new. They were whomping wolves on the head and the back and knocking them all back in that day. And that's, that's what it was used for. It was offensive to get rid of an enemy. All right? Uh, the shepherd, when he swung at that, was to protect the sheep. The staff, on the other hand, was more of a defensive tool that kept the sheep in line and the crook could be used to stop an offending or straying sheep, right? You've always seen that hook. And of course, where do we see that in, in the old Hollywood, right? Somebody be on stage and the hook would come out and jerk them off stage. That picture comes from this picture in Psalm 23, where the shepherd would take and hook the sheep and pull them back into the flock. Now, if a sheep, not that any of us would be like this, but if a sheep was stubborn and was insistent on going its own way and separating from the flock, then what the shepherd would do is take the rod, which wasn't intended for the sheep, but he could use it for that, and he would take and break the leg of the sheep. Then he would mend it. Why? Because now the sheep is going to be hobbled, and the sheep no longer can wander away. He, the shepherd was protecting the sheep for the bigger purposes of keeping it alive. And that's what God does for us as well. David is saying here that both God's rod, his judgment, right? The rod is a sign of judgment. And his staff, his directing of his life, were a great comfort to him. Remember, it's David who wrote this. By the way, how he wrote half this stuff. Ah, man, won't it be something to sit in heaven and go, how did you come up with that stuff, right? The book of Hebrews tells us that God's discipline is for our good and for our benefit. At the time, no one likes it. That's a discipline it is. But in the long run, it proves beneficial. And obviously, David had been under both. He had been shepherded into a kingship role. He had been disciplined, rebuked, and broken over his sin in the Bathsheba affair. And it's a good reminder for us okay, that God loves us enough to discipline us so that we get back on the paths of righteousness for his namesake. If you can wander away from God and walk away from him and there's no discipline that comes in, Hebrews says you better check whether you're a believer or not. Because true believers, those who know Jesus, 
God is going to do something to bring you back to the flock and bring you back to the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Because why? You're a son or daughter. And he's just not going to let you get away with that. If you can just walk off, you should be very scared that you can get away with sin, not get caught, and nothing happens. Uh, Christian kids often bemoan the fact, oh, my parents pray, and every time I try to do something, I get caught. Killing me, Smalls, right? And what's going on there? Parents are asking God to do this exact thing, keep my kids in the paths of righteousness. So the next picture, so that's the picture of God as shepherd. The next is the picture of God of hosts. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is a picture of the great king serving as host. God is extending hospitality here. And the picture of he's taken the oppressed person and put them at a large banquet table. And here's the key. The enemies of this person, the enemies of God, have to sit by and watch as they gnaw their teeth and are irked to death over the whole situation. Anointing the head with oil is a sign of blessing and approval. We still do that today. <coughs> we anoint people. My cup overflows means that there's no more want. I, there's, I, it's abundant. I'm full. This is obviously a foreshadowing, right, of the great banquet feast of the wedding of the lamb right and so you can see there's a couple metaphors here that overplay because it's the wedding feast of the lamb but the lamb is the good shepherd who's the host at the wedding feast where all the followers of jesus will be seated by the way that would be me and you right look up church look up right keep your eyes on him and a whole bunch of other people it's a picture of the bride and groom brought together in love, brought together in blessing, and trying to picture the event accurately, words fail. Right? Just think of the best you can think of, and it's better than that. Think of the best wedding you've ever been to. Think of the best feast you've ever been to. Just think of the best time you've had with friends, and it pales in comparison to what this is going to be. This is going to be great. There will be nothing like it in the history of mankind. And then the psalm concludes with this. Verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The great promise is that God will lead us through our entire life, both the good and the bad. Remember Job? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. What? Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is what we have to be as people. Why is this so important? Because the idea is that God will lead us through the good and the bad. And there's a great secret hidden within this psalm. So here's the kernel. If you haven't listened to anything, you've been bored or kind of sleep, okay, wake up right now. Because here's the point, here's the punchline. When we read this psalm, we go, whoa, how wonderful, how idyllic, how pastoral. Oh, it's a, right? If I only had that kind of peace in my life. As we've seen so many times in this series, it's been the context, the backdrop to the story in these psalms that gives the punch to it and gives you the insight uh, of what the Lord's doing. And as we've seen, it's given us so much insight into the intentions, God's intentions and purpose. So the question would be, when was this psalm written? When was the 23rd psalm written? And here's the part that's so stunning. 
You would have thought that it was written in a very peaceful, prosperous time when David had time to reflect on God and his goodness. Oh, it's a wonderful deal. I think I'll just sit back and write something really cool about God because I have time. I have leisure time. Any of you been looking for that leisure time lately? <laughs> Get to that book you wanted? That's, that's what we think. It just Right? The truth is, is exactly the opposite. It was written during one of the most terrible and dangerous times of David's life. When? Many believe that this was written when David was in exile and fleeing for his life when Absalom, his own son, was staging a rebellion and overthrowing the kingdom. The phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, takes on a whole new meaning when seen in this light. When you understand that the 23rd Psalm was written during that time of upheaval when David wasn't even sure he'd be alive tomorrow, you start to understand how the Spirit led David to write something that was totally contrary to the experiences he was experiencing right there. And many a believer can attest to that. In the worst times of their life, the peace of God has come upon them, and they've had a 23rd Psalm experience. And that's why for over 2,000 years, this psalm has spoken to those who are in distress, trouble, trial, persecution, difficulty, loss, and shattering circumstances. It's almost as if, even if you didn't know that background, if you didn't know that piece, it's almost as if you sense David is writing out of tremendous conflict and pain. And this psalm, more than any other, brings the most surprising result, a sense of comfort and peace to those who are in shattering circumstances. No matter how bad, Northview, here's the point, here at home, no matter how bad, God will be with us and God will lead us. Jesus is the good shepherd and he will take us home the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not be in want. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, incredibly powerful picture. What a wonderful snapshot to end this series with. We've gotten incredible pictures of, of your steadfast love, of your unfailing faithfulness. Lord, we've, we've seen incredible pictures of uh, people crying out to you and you answering prayer. And Lord, as we come through this, we realize this is really us. This, they were going through the same things we experience today. As we do that, Lord, we close with you're the good shepherd. I wonder how much anxiety would go out of our country if we could just land on that, that you were the good shepherd and a good leader. Lord, many have walked away, and you know that. We would seek you for mercy and ask that you would prove yourself to be beyond good and beyond merciful as a good shepherd and turn many back to you who should be walking with you right now and many who never had a chance. Lord, many teenagers and junior high kids and children don't even know you as a swear word. Would you reach out to them and be their good shepherd? Lord, we seek you as a church, Lord, that we will follow your lead, that we will be good sheep, a good flock, that you won't have to break our legs so we stay in line, Lord, that we'd follow your paths of righteousness, and we seek you for that. Lord, we don't know the future. 
but you do, and we entrust you with it. We give that to you in your name. Amen. Amen. As you're able, stand with us as we respond this morning.
ministry team. Beautiful picture, right? Beautiful picture following a beautiful picture. What's it for? Encourage. Hang in there. Have hope. This is not surprise God. He's not taken aback by it. Stay close. Lean in. Follow him. Be a kingdom player. Be a good follower of the good shepherd. Father, we seek you that you'd help us do this practically as we walk out these doors, that you would help us live it consistently during the week. I notice that phrase in there, Lord, being bound to you. May we be bound to you. We ask for this in your name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. Again, as our practice has been, if you would help us so home, if you're watching, right, prayer points and questions are online there and you can pull those up. Uh, you guys, you can pull them up when you get home. And if you go out these doors this way, both ways so that we can keep that area sanitized, that'd be fantastic. Thank you, everybody.